This is episode 73 with photographer Mark McInnes. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. I love interviewing photographers, especially ones who shoot things I love, like the outdoors and sports like surfing and snowboarding. Mark McInnes is an accomplished photographer and even more awesome of a guy. I love his story because he's just so honest and has a great outlook on life. I also relate a lot since we're similar ages. Mark talks about how he got his start taking photos and how he makes a living doing it, how he contacted his favorite photographer, who happens to be a former guest of this show, advice to those starting out, and advice to those wanting to make a living around their passions. I enjoyed this talk a lot. I hope you do too. All right. We have Mark McInnes on the podcast today, live in person. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. So Mark works for a lot of similar brands I've worked with from Hydroflask to Prana, Body Glove, Hippie Tree, so many. It's awesome. You know, how did you get into photography in the first place? I mean, long story short, I was basically just looking for an easy A in high school. (laughs) And I had a friend and her mom was the photography teacher. And we were friends and she was like, hey, I'm gonna take photography with my mom next quarter, semester, whatever it was back in high school. I was like, okay, cool, I'll do it. And so we get to class and you know, they're like, you have to lease a camera, it's 30 bucks, we'll give you the money back when you bring the camera back. So I go home that night, tell my parents, and my dad's like, oh, why don't you just use my camera? So like, oh, I didn't even know you had a camera. So I go to school the next day and I have my dad's camera and she's like, whoa, where'd you get this camera? This is really nice, you need to take care of this. And so at that moment, knowing nothing about photography at the time, I was like, oh, I'm gonna be the best photographer in class because I have like this nice camera, you know? And now of course, cameras are very small piece of, making a nice photograph, but yeah. So give the audience perspective. You're born in the eighties. So high school's in the nineties. Yeah. This would have been 98 or 99, something like that. So you, you started taking pictures in high school. Like when is the moment when you're like, this is my career? Did you go to college for it? Did you, how did you do it professionally and actually get paid to do it? You know, I went to, I always have been a student of photography from college classes in photojournalism to just like being obsessed with like whatever, like landscape photographers or fashion photographers, I'm always trying to soak up as much knowledge about photography as I can. And so I took some photojournalism classes in college, but I was in school for journalism. So it was kind of just like a little detour, you know? And then uh, photography was always just a huge passion. So I was like, yeah, of course I'll take photojournalism classes through my journalism where did program. you go to school? University of Oregon in well, Eugene, Oregon. School. Go and Ducks. Yeah, so you studied journalism at University of Oregon, and then when you graduated... When I graduated, I moved to Hawaii, was a surf bum for about a year, and then I moved back to Oregon and had a couple interviews at like some advertising agencies, and I was like, well, this is cool. These people are drinking beer at 10 a.m. and aren't <laughs> in cubicles. Like, I could do this. And then I'd go home that night, and I'd be like, but man, I'm still on... I'm still going to be on somebody else's schedule. 
And so I would always, this was in Portland, and I'd always get out to the coast as much as I could to surf. And then one day, it was way too big, way out of my league. But there is this beach break that was going off. It was all backlit, and the, it was just super hard offshore, and it was just this beautiful, opaque green. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I remembered, like, I was like, well, I'm going to take some photos, because, of course, because I was always shooting photos. Yeah. And I went home that night, and it just, I was like, I want to be a surf photographer. Why not? Like, I'm going to do this. So I got online and researched, like, a ton of surf photographers and had this, you know, big notepad and I thought I was going to write down a million names and I ended up just writing down a couple names of people that inspired me and it's like I want to shoot photos like these guys and what were those names Chris Burkhard Jeremy Koreski wow and yeah. so you went out you took pictures yeah and then did you sell them you want to know what's funny is it, I actually hit both of those guys up and they both wrote me back like real quickly and Berkey who's actually become a really really good friend of mine was like hey funny you wrote me about this. My wife and I were just talking about how I should start some tutor program. You want to be my first experiment? You know, give me like a hundred bucks a day for however many days you want to come down. So I actually went down to San Luis Obispo or Oreo Grande and uh, just hung out with Berkey for like three days and picked his brain and recorded it all on my little voice memo iPhone and then listened to it the whole drive back to Oregon and and he, you know, he really helped me out a lot. And there were people at the time that were in the industry saying like, you're never going to make it as a surf photographer in that region of the world. Sorry. That's just the way it is. And Chris was actually like, don't listen to those guys. He's like, just do your thing and, and make it happen. That's so. so cool. We've had Chris on the podcast and I imagine if you were to take that strategy now, it might be a little bit more difficult because mm -hmm. he's so busy, but I think that's a good testament to anyone listening. Like if you want to go do something, find the people who do it well and contact them. And a lot of times you'll be surprised. They might take a chance on you. Maybe if it's not them, maybe someone a little bit less than them or who's just starting out or, yeah. but don't be afraid to go straight to the top. Hey, you got to reach out to people. Everything in life is about relationships and you got to put yourself out there and you know, it's okay to, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to approach people and say, Hey, this is what I want to do. Can you help me? Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I mean, the, it's like, I always live by that philosophy. It's like the worst thing someone can say is no. So you might as well just give it a shot. I totally agree. And you know, now lately I've been starting to say it's it's not no. Sometimes it's not now. Like, totally. Sometimes you pitch someone, they say no, but a couple of years later they might say yes. So Absolutely. I want to go back a little bit because you bet. one thing is since we just talked about Chris Burkhardt, he's really interested in like landscape photography mm -hmm. and says he loves taking pictures of nature. Yeah. I feel like you, from what I've heard, and correct me, but do you like taking portraits and landscapes? Like, what are your favorite things to shoot? I, it's so funny because as a photographer, I feel like I'm supposed to, I feel like I get pigeonholed a lot as being a surf photographer, which is fine because I am. I didn't even really know you were a surf photographer. I thought of you of all these other things well, besides thank you. surf photography. Thank you. I appreciate that because, um, and it's not a bad pigeonhole to be in. I'm not saying that, that I'm against that or anything, but- I love taking pictures. It's honestly as simple as that. I love portraiture. I'm by no means am I the best portrait photographer out there by any means, but there's just something I love about it. I love seeing people's faces and I love going home and seeing a photo that's like, oh good, their eyes are tack sharp. The technical aspect and then building a relationship with somebody and telling a story through a photograph and 
I love landscape photography and I love like being a super nerd and staying up till two in the morning on the, you know, meteor showers in August and shooting night stuff. And I mean, it does like if, if I'm, as long as I'm not stuck in a studio, like taking still life photos of something weird <laughs> that I don't want to shoot. You like being outside. I like being outside and working with natural light. Any advice on, you know, taking better pictures? Like for me, what's so interesting is you shoot everything from people in activewear like Prana and Body Glove to portraits of guys like Jerry Lopez. Mm -hmm. How do you get people comfortable when you're taking their photo? Like do you crack jokes? Do you just start shooting? (laughs) I don't even know if they are comfortable. I don't know. I'm just... I think at 37 years old, I've just learned to be myself and just not try and be anybody else. And I'm, you know, can be like temperamental and moody, just like you or anybody else. You know what I mean? So some days I might show up and I'm like maybe in a funk or maybe some days I show up and I'm just wired and being a complete weirdo, you know? So I'm sure that all plays a role in, in how my subject is feeling, but hopefully they feel comfortable and good. And hopefully they can just feel comfortable with themselves and, and be authentic to who they are because I'm doing the same thing. Got it. So be yourself. That's super good advice. I mean, how cliche is that? But it's like, why would you ever want to be anybody but who you are? No, but I appreciate that because I can be a total Sandy Clam, but, but most of the time I'm pretty stoked yeah. and excited. And I like that there was a story in Monster Children about you where, where they said that you could be temperamental, but oh, most sure. of the time you're stoked, Mark. Super stoked, Mark, I think is what Eric said. Yeah, it was a good buddy of mine, Eric Green, that, that did that interview. That was really, really fun. So how did you get paid for your first photo? God. Oh, well, I mean like, like surf photo or just shooting in general? Like your first surf photo, which is what you wanted to do. Yeah. I think back in the day, it's actually back. There was a hiatus, but there was, um, or there is a magazine called SBC Surf. It's Surf British Columbia. And Sepp and Raph Brewweiler, who are both really good friends of mine, are professional surfers from Vancouver Island up in Tofino. And they were coming south of the border for them to the States and they hit me up. And that was my first trip with professional surfers. And I think one or two of those photos ran, you know, like a third of a page or something in SBC. And I think I got like 30 bucks and I was over the moon. I could have just ripped the check up and thrown it in the garbage. It was more about opening a magazine and seeing your photo in there and being like, I've made it. I was just so over the moon. That's so great. And now you do, you know, advertorial and editorial. You bet. How do you balance? Because my, my guess, and I don't know, but I know for writing, editorial pays way less than advertorial. Totally. Same. So do you still do editorial and advertorial? How do you balance both? You know, I, I could be completely wrong here, but this is my own personal opinion, is that if I started doing just advertising campaigns, I feel like I would lose a real sense of identity to what I love to do and the stories I love to tell, which is awesome because the brands that I do get to shoot campaigns for and work with, they're actually... I think probably hired me because I do what I do outside of what I do for them. So you do both to stay relevant, keep it fresh. I do both. But the answer to your question is like the editorial stuff gives me so much joy because it's generally something I really care about or a trip that I went on with some friends. It was super fun and, and remote and we usually got good waves, you know, or something like that. And then the advertising stuff is so cool because I get to work with you know, you form these real tight knit communities with these people that you get to work with and it becomes like family. So like I was saying earlier, it's like the advertising campaign stuff. It's really cool because essentially I'm just working with my friends to, you know, make a beautiful image and hopefully get other people interested in the brand. And 
kind of help tell their story. You've been a lot of really cool places. Any mm. that you can share about? And we don't have to name surf spots because yeah, I think we come from I, the same I don't do that. age where we don't do I that. I don't do that. But uh, <laughs> in terms of countries, it's so funny because it's so cliche, but I've been there I've been there twice and and I know the North Atlantic holds a lot more places that I would like to go, but there is something magical about Iceland. And it's been played out time and time again through social media and even editorial and advertising. It's, it's, I'm, it's played out. I'm sorry. It's played out, but there's a reason it's stunning mm. and it's unbelievable and it's vast and it's big and it's everything I love in, in nature. And it's, uh, it's been done a lot, but, but I had a really good couple experiences there and it is incredible. And then if you transition down to the South, South Pacific, I've been to Chile one time and itching to get back. The place is absolutely incredible. Oh, that's on our list right now. It's incredible. Chile and Portugal. You're a goofy foot too, so yeah. no wonder. There's not any. There's not really good waves down there, but it's just beautiful. <laughs> Terrible. Cold water. You like Love it. cold water Love and it. snow. Yeah. Why? How? Well, I was born and raised in the middle of Oregon, and we got snow in the winters, and from a super young age, I was obsessed with it. Love the snow, love the mountains, and then fell in love with surfing much later, but have always, I'm just drawn to that, the snow for some reason. And so when you can find a place where it actually snows and has good waves, it's like, I don't know, there's just nothing more romantic in surfing to me than that. It's just something that, that is so, we're used to like, you know, the, the blue water complex, you know, and the surf magazine and stuff and it's Tahiti and it's Mexico and it's Hawaii and all this stuff. So it's kind of the antithesis of all that. And it's two things that I'm obsessed with. So when you put them together, it's pretty cool little scenario. So you must have really good wetsuits. Yeah. Usually the only thing that's not covered is, you know, my Your lips to my eyebrows. <laughs> so tell me about the gear you would take on like a cold water trip. That's like a must have. For shooting, like to work, it would be, I, base layers are the most important articles of clothing when it comes to what you're going to pack for a cold trip because you can have like all the outerwear and you can have the the best wind resistant water resistant stuff or whatever but if your core gets cold you're going to be cold base layers are huge and I don't leave the house without them even if I'm even if I'm you know just going somewhere where it's going to be like 40 degrees which you, really isn't even that cold do you use like merino wool or yeah i mean i'm not too particular with merino or uh capeline you know, I think they, they both work and okay. I have both. Can we talk about your dad? It sounds like you, 100%. you have two dads that were influential in your life. Hugely. So your biological father who lived in Maui yeah. and, and your father who raised you, your stepfather in yeah. Oregon. Yeah. Talk to me about both of them. I just get, I get the goosebumps getting this question because they were so, such different humans, but they, yeah, they both played an enormous role in who I am and what I've become and, and the things that I value in life. Yeah, my biological father was, he was definitely like a hippie, free spirit and everything. But then he did buckle down and work for an extended length of time, mainly did, to be next to me. What did he do? Uh, he like sold real estate at like a resort in Oregon. He moved back to Oregon for my formative years. So from like 10 to 18 or something like that. Oh. Yeah, just to be around me. We were like best friends. That's so cool. And then when did he move to Maui? My parents met in Maui. And then he lived in Maui until I was 10 came back to Oregon and then I graduated high school and he went back to Maui. So I don't know, a span of 20 something years okay. he was there. So yeah, Hawaii is kind of a second home to me. And 
I've got aunties and uncles over there and oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it is awesome. So he, my biological father really instilled in, in me this kind of like do whatever makes you happy mentality. So he was kind of always, um, you know, a big dreamer like I am and follow your heart, shoot for the stars type of guy. So that's, I've definitely inherited a lot of that. I just think through genetics and seeing, being with him and spending time with him and doing really awesome camping trips and fishing. And he was a huge treasure hunter. He like metal detected in Hawaii and found crazy like diamond platinum watches from the twenties and stuff. And it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. He was just like, he would do anything that he could to get by without having a real nine to five, which he did then when he, you know, he moved back to Oregon to be close to me. But, but when he was on his own, he was pretty much just doing whatever he could to get by and living a real simple, happy life. And he passed away how long ago? In 2004, yeah, when I was 23. He was surfing? He was surfing, yeah. It was on the west side of Maui, and there had been a, just a ton of rain. And I actually talked to him the, like the night before, and he was like, oh, finally quit raining, and the waves are pumping. And so he was out surfing, but it was really murky water from all the rain. And he got attacked by a tiger shark and got his femoral artery in his leg. And Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's I, heavy. You want to know what, though? It's, it is heavy and it did come as a shock, especially when you would just talk to him Yeah. and he was so fired up. He's like, oh, I think I caught one of the longest waves of my life today. And so like the last conversation we had was incredible. Wow. And, um, it was truly a beautiful end to a beautiful life. Like there is no other way he would have rather gone. And I can say that with 100% certainty in my heart, which feels really good. That's really cool. Dude, like he probably would love to still be here and I would love to be still be hanging out with my dad. I'd give anything for that opportunity. But uh, it happened the way it happened and as brutal and as kind of shocking as it can be, it's truly, it's just, I don't know how else to say it. It's just a beautiful end to a really beautiful life. It sounds like you honor your father, you know, every time you snap a photo, you go for oh, a surf. Yeah, I'm always talking to him. I'm always talking to him. Like every, like before I go for a surf, like I'm walking to the water's edge. I'm like, thanks, Dad, for teaching me about the ocean and giving me a love for the ocean and sharing surfing with me and kind of, you know, just everything he did for me was awesome. And then my stepdad was like this super successful entrepreneur and businessman and, you know, was very adamant about going to college, which I'm so glad I did. And, you know, going to advertising, like you're so creative, like it'd be a great field for you. And he was insanely successful. And I think if we ever would have measured his IQ, it would have been just jaw-droppingly high. I mean, the guy was just, he didn't think like other people, which is what made, exactly what made him successful. Major problem solver, could find a solution to any problem. I mean, it's just, the guy was just gnarly. And then he passed away in 2015 um, with a short and quick uh, battle with pancreatic cancer. Mm. That was pretty gnarly to go through. So yeah, I've lost both of my dads way earlier than I had wanted, but, uh, you know what, I take so many valuable lessons from both of them and feel so lucky that they were so different because now I'm this kind of got to see these two different, you know, worlds and, you know, try and become a little bit of both of those. And your mom must be just a badass. <laughs> My mom is so rad. She's just a pillar of positivity. And I don't think she would admit to this, but she's a great philosopher. You know, she has a, a great outlook on life she's very accepting of things. And, um, you know, she's a mom. I'm her only son. She just loves me, wants me to be happy and, and really supports what I do. And it took a long time for my, my stepdad. I hate using that word, but for these purposes, we'll use it. 
it took a long time for her and my stepdad to be okay with me doing the photography thing. But I think once I started getting some credit and, and they saw that like, I'm not, I'm not just like waking up and staying in my pajamas until noon. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, once they saw my, my drive it. and my work ethic, I think they really were like, sweet, go for it. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about what I love that you're an only child. Yeah. I have an older stepbrother, Mike, okay. and we're very close. He's my okay. brother. He's cool. from my, my stepdad. He's awesome. We're very close. And he got me into uh, some really bad music at a young age, <laughs> which I still love. So it's great. Is it punk? It would be like he'd pick me up from school listening to the, like Metallica's Kill 'Em All or, you know, Too Short or Too Live Crew. So I still listen to a lot of metal and gangster rap and I owe it all to him. <laughs> it's pretty funny. We're going to take a quick break to hear about our sponsor. When we come back, Mark gets into the reality of making it as a photographer. This episode was brought to you by REI Co-op, a brand who not only gets you the gear you need to get outside, but helps you get out there and explore. Anytime I've had a big adventure, whether it was volunteering in Costa Rica, even hiking in Yosemite, I've loaded up on gear at REI. I've always loved their inclusive approach and the fact the brand provides tons of education on and off the storefront floors. I've taken lots of classes at REI like orienteering, rock climbing techniques, even beginning backpacking. They also have great experiences and trips like safaris to Tanzania, trekking in the Alps, backpacking trips through the Great Smoky Mountains, and so many more. I've been a member since 1996, and I'm excited to partner with them on the show this year. You can go to REI.com to check out the latest gear, classes, experiences, to find a store near you, and to read great stories about adventure and the outdoors. So you talked about your work ethic, and I think a lot of people are a little confused with what it takes to be a photographer, mm -hmm. especially today. Can you shed light and just let us know the reality of being a photographer rather than just the fantasy of it? Oh, absolutely. And it's and it, that's such a good way to put it, too, because it is such a fantasy. Even for me, when I started, like I said, I came home from that beautiful night with these photographs, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a surf photographer and just take photos of waves and that's all I'm ever going to have to do. And it's perfect for me because I'm a surfer and X, Y, and Z. You want to know what? I talked earlier about those nine to five jobs. I spend more time in front of the computer than anybody with like a true nine to five. Like there's obviously people that work, you know, a hundred hours a week, but, uh, you know, a true nine to five, like I guarantee you I'm in front of the computer way more than, than someone with a normal nine to five is. Yeah. It's crazy. And it, and, and it has to be done. And that can be, you know, editing a job, editing a trip, emailing potential clients, emailing current clients, tons of emailing, <laughs> lots of emailing, lots of phone calls. Thankfully, I love talking on the phone. It's like kind of a lost art. But yeah, lots of phone calls. And uh, I mean, it is a job. I just happen to love it. So I'll put everything aside to make sure that it's going positively in an upward trajectory. So my guess is if you're, well, for me, a lot of my job is computer time as yeah, well of course. and technical time. It's just the time. It's the. Time. I don't love that time. I really like the other time when I'm out in the field or talking to people like you right now. Like, yeah. That's my favorite time. Right. Any like tricks or like routines you have every morning so you don't go insane because you do have to spend so much time in front of your computer. <laughs> like do you wake up and make sure you have to surf or do you do Wim Hof breathing or I don't know. 
It was actually funny. I when I found out I was going to be on the show, I listened to Todd's podcast, and he was talking about the Navy SEALs, and they say like make your bed every morning because then you have that sense of accomplishment. First thing I do every day is make my bed. And I think it's been that way ever since I moved out of my parents' house. I'm so type A. I'm so organized and clean and everything needs to be how I see it in my head, you know? So the first thing I do every day before I do anything is make my bed. Because there's nothing worse than coming back in your room and being like, well, now I have to do that. Yeah. You know? So So it kind of, it really spoke to me when I was listening to Todd's interview because it's like, well, that's cool. I do that every day. So I didn't really think about it as having that effect on like a sense of accomplishment, but maybe that's exactly what's going through my head psychologically. So you're really clean and really organized. Incredibly. And I get like, I go crazy when things aren't like, kind of like I I don't know what to do with myself when things are messy or kind of out of control. So even the files on your computer, are they super organized? Oh, by date, alphabetized. Like, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all very, very, I mean, you have to, you have to be that way. Like, how are you going to, you know, I have an assistant and have, and have help on, uh, you know, other jobs where people need a file management system that makes sense and is easy to, to uh, navigate. So it has to be that way. Tell me about some of the amazing things you get to shoot for a living and get paid to do. It's fun. It's funny. You know, by no means was I complaining about being pigeonholed as a surf photographer earlier, because when you ask me that question, the first thing I'm going to say is shooting surfing, but even more so is just shooting empty waves. You know, I started this whole career living in the Pacific Northwest and people think I'm saying this, like deter people from going, but it honestly doesn't get that good that often. It's just the reality of living up there and spending time up there. And when it would get good, I didn't really have professional. So there's no professional surfers up there. So it's my career in the surf photography realm has been started and was built on a foundation of photographs of empty waves. And still to this day, if I could go get paid to shoot empty waves anywhere on the planet, that's, I would love to do that. Cause I can go by myself. I can do it all on my own and don't have to like worry about, you know, how long it's going to take so-and-so to eat breakfast or, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, you add more, more people and the puzzle becomes increasingly complicated. So yeah. that's my, that's still my favorite thing to shoot is empty waves. But to answer your question, you know, I, and just kind of, like I said earlier, I just, I love photography and I love shooting photographs. So I love it all. I, I'm, I'm lucky that I get to do what I do and I feel really blessed that I've had the opportunity to live this life and make this career for myself. So I'm happy to shoot whatever I get the opportunity it's to shoot. Cool that you have so much gratitude for what you do. I think that that's probably been a really big key to your success that maybe you don't even realize. There's so many people listening. I know who want to make it as a photographer. Yeah. Any advice on how to get started and what they need to know, steps they need to take? Well, honestly, you can't buy a bad camera these days. I get people asking me, like, what should I do? What should I get? What should I get? It's like, just get something and start shooting. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be, uh, maybe not your, I mean, the phones can take good photographs, but if you really want to like get a grasp on photography, you need something that can shoot manual, you know, for aperture and shutter speed and that kind of stuff. And so get a camera that works, whether it's film or digital and don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to experiment. If somebody tells you, you should do one thing in a situation, purposely do the opposite just to see why they said that. And you, maybe you'll be surprised at the result you get. And maybe it's like different or maybe it's unique or something. So, you know, there's so many philosophers and we have like a million Pinterest quotes about 
failing and getting back up again or whatever, you know what I mean? But it's true. It's like, don't be afraid to fail because it's going to teach you something about yourself and your art and your craft that you're going to learn something. And it's all about learning. So if you want to start shooting photographs, get a camera and just start shooting photographs and either take a course or, or just experiment and, and figure out what it is that you like to shoot and how you like to shoot it. That's so. That's such good advice. You're so intense. I love this. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. You're definitely not the first person that's called me intense. No, my my girl, good. my girlfriend's always like, "You're like seventy percent chill," and I'm like, "No, I'm like ninety nine percent chill." And she's like, "You're like honestly, you're like sixty five percent chill." <laughs> but so I don't know. Maybe I'm intense and not chill. But. No, I'm the same way. It's it's really it's really cool. It's it's really fun. So any any experiences with failure that you can share, where you failed at something and you learn from it. Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's not a, it wasn't that big of a deal, but that first surf trip I took with Sepp and Raph Brewweiler from after the first night or after the first day we were home that night and we were going through the images and Raph just looked at me and he's like, what, you don't shoot bottom turns? You know, like when the surfer's at the bottom of the wave. And I always thought from, you know, like I said, I shot empty waves forever. So I had never really shot action photography. And I thought all the action was just at the top of the wave where the mm. surfer would be doing their maneuver. And I just looked at him and I was like, I don't know, should I? <laughs> you know, and they're like, yeah, shoot everything. You know, so I remember um, looking back and, and there was a videographer there at the time too. And I remember looking back at a couple of his clips and they would pause it on the bottom turn and they'd be like, see, isn't this beautiful? You know, so now I actually have an affinity for bottom turn photos because of that trip. So yeah, I definitely failed there that first day with the Brewweilers. But um, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, that's not like a, failure that had any necessarily any like large impact or no, affected good. me in a negative way or anything it's, like it's that. It's a good but, uh, story though. Any, any times where you've been in a situation that's been pretty scary? Yeah. Big waves scare me. I'm not like a big wave surfer and I've been in situations, you know, half mile out to sea in the ocean where someone's jet ski breaks down and we have to, we have to tow it in through a shore break where it's like, you know, big waves, big waves breaking really close to shore and, somehow have to navigate getting in and I've luckily never had to drive in that instance, but you're just like holding on for dear life and do you train or do anything to you, stay you in want, shape? You want to know what I, I, uh, I've been on like three back to back commercial shoots, back to back to back commercial shoots right now. And it's so hard to stay healthy and stuff. And I, w I wish that I could say like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm gnarly, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that honesty. Yeah. I read I read somewhere or maybe it was an interview did that you really don't like certain things about social media. Mostly some of the things girls do on social media. Oh, I think you know that phase is almost kind of I don't really see that. Well, I guess it's still around and stuff, but it's just so funny to me when when you're just going through social media and it's and you'll click on somebody's account and it's just a million selfies or a million photos of their butt so or yeah, their not just girls guys anything. too like, yeah. guys too everybody like it's just like i don't know i don't really like taking pictures of myself and or post pictures of myself and sometimes you have to do it for the job or you have to give somebody images which is totally fine and, and valid but uh yeah the whole the, the we're, we are living in a strange time in human so existence weird. and I don't know. It's no, just, but it's I thought, interesting. I thought it was nice what you said because you said, you know, I think women have a lot of wisdom and oh, women are like the coolest creatures on the planet. And They're, you weren't in love with how certain women were showcasing themselves. Yeah, for sure. It's like, yeah, you might have a great ass, but like have a little self-respect and just like, you don't need to 
just show it to the world like all day, every day or whatever. But And that's just me being judgmental. Maybe that gives that person <laughs> so much joy that they have a beautiful posterior and can like post it all over the world. I don't know. But for me, I'm just kind of like, come on. Eh, but I'm old next. school, you know? Yeah, no, I like that. Any advice you'd give to younger Mark? Like if you were 15 or 20, you know, if you could go back and say, Mark, I think remember this. I think the same advice I would give 15-year-old Mark is the same advice I try and give myself every day today, which is don't cry over spilled milk. <laughs> I get so fired up about the most, this, like literally spilled milk. Like if I get in a car, head-on car accident, I would get out of the car like calm as a monk and be able to figure out the solution to the problem like that. But if, you know, my hydro flask lid the other day, something was wrong with it and I was like, blank 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 like this you know what's going on i need to help these guys out and get a better lid and blah blah, blah. and then of course i found the piece i was missing inside the hydro flask i was like oh okay cool everything's fine but then i look back and i'm like man that was intense i did not need to get like that for some reason it's just like don't cry over spilled milk that's what i'm trying to continually learn about myself and change that's great advice yeah um don't sweat the small stuff don't sweat the small stuff good luck mark if you could throw a party, mm -hmm. any party, who's coming? What are we eating? Like, who's there? What music is playing? What kind of party is it? It's funny. I have a really, I am so lucky that I feel so connected to so many people. I have a million best friends, you know, not obviously not a million, so but your I have, best friends I have, are I have a lot of best friends. So it's all my best friends from all my different walks of life and we're probably, on outside, sunny, on a barbecue, cooking up vegan dogs for the vegans and steaks for the meat eaters and making sure everybody's well-fed and happy and just listening to like the gnarliest like top 40 trap rap music because I'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff for some reason. So white kid from Central Oregon that loves rap. I've never really understood it myself, but oh, I love it. it's pretty fun. <laughs> if you could fly an eco-friendly plane over the world and it could leave us with a few messages mm -hmm. or one message. Yeah. What are those messages? Quit blowing up the spot. Quit blowing up the spot. I just, it's so crazy how social, I've seen places that I adore and places in the, in the world that I grew up and there was no one around. And because of social media and geotagging locations and hashtagging things, I've just seen places ruined by humanity. Like it's, it sucks, you know? And it's like, if, Everybody could understand that some places are incredibly special to people. And like, just, I mean, I'm kind of a hypocrite too, because I take photographs of special places, but I, I, you know, tell myself it's okay because I don't name locations and all this kind of stuff. But then there's exact people that are going to be listening to this being like, you're an idiot, dude, because you do the exact same thing. But <laughs> the geotagging and the hashtagging and the blatant exploitation of special places is just something that's a really hard pill for me to swallow. Sounds like you're saying keep special places special. Keep them special, keep them unnamed, keep them clean, keep them beautiful. And not everybody needs to know about everywhere. Yeah. Mark, where can we find more? Well, you can find me on my Instagram, which is Mark O. McInnes. And then... You want to spell that for us? Yeah. M-A-R-K-O-M-C-I-N-N. I-S. One S at the end. Don't One blow S, it. no E's. Don't blow it, people. And then I should have a new website up really soon at markmckinnis.com, so I can check that out. And if it's the old one, don't go. But if it's the new one, check it out. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. 
Thank you to Allison Gates at Prana for making the introduction to Mark and saying, Shelby, you have to interview this guy. He's awesome. Thank you again to Mark and to his assistant, Ian, for coming over and doing this interview live in person and to Ian for snapping some shots of us in action. You can check out Mark McInnes, that's M-C-I-N-N-I-S dot com to see more of his work or follow him on Instagram. He shot some amazing people in beautiful places. To you for listening, thank you so much. Thank you to REI for supporting this show. Check out REI. I'm actually hosting an event in San Diego with REI. I'll be hosting the campfire portion of a campout in Coronado. I think it's women's only, June 9th. So check it out. Just go to REI.com. Wherever you're listening, don't forget you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. And remember... Wherever you are, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you next week. 